0: Mark chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 29 this morning. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told, her, told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said, Let us go out to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Father, once again, we come to you in a moment of prayer. By the the very act, we acknowledge that we are hopeless without you. That we are powerless without you. That we can't even gather on a weekly basis and examine your perfect word if you do not help us. And so Lord, help us. Help us to understand. Help us to bring you glory in our time of study and consideration. And help us by the move and the work of your spirit soften our hearts. Make us able to hear and willing to respond in obedience. In Christ's name, we pray, and for His glory, Amen. You may be seated. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message of the one who has power over the spiritual. And physical effects of the curse. I'm going to say it again. There's a lot of components to a single sentence. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message of the one who has power over the spiritual and physical effects of. The curse. If you were with us at the end of last year, when we began our journey through Mark's gospel, you might remember the earliest statement of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now this is a bold and, if you will, audacious statement that he would seek then to support With the following 14 chapters. The the literature that comes next. It's often the essence of preaching. You know, make a, a bold statement and then back it up. Sort of what Mark does here. This is the news about Jesus, the Son of God. Now let me tell you and prove to you that he is. Indeed, indeed, the Son of God. What followed that bold statement was, first, a public and miraculous baptism, whereby the Holy Spirit manifest His presence. The Father spoke with an audible voice from heaven, declaring the Sonship of Jesus. That's a pretty good start, right? But if Jesus is to be the Savior of the world... He has to be able to rescue souls from Satan. He has to be able to rescue souls from sin. If Jesus is to be able to raise men and women to new life on earth and in heaven, Jesus must have the power over the effects of sin's curse. He must have authority over the physical, and spiritual power of the curse of Adam, the marks of which are on us all. And so, when Jesus came, he showed his power. Over the spiritual realm first, he goes out into the wilderness, and he goes toe-to-toe with Satan, coming out victorious. He is power over Satan in temptation. Then he shows his power over the spiritual realm in the synagogue, casting out the demon-possessed man. That's what we studied last week. Great demonstrations of power. This all to prove that he has the power to free the heart of man and is enslaved by the spiritual effects of sin. Next, Jesus offers these demonstrations of authority over the physical effects of the curse. And that's what we have read in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. Demonstrations of authority over the physical effects of the curse. There are three things to observe in this little account The first of which you might say is simply a private miracle. A private miracle. The context of this event that we read is, again, on the Sabbath day. In verses 21 to 28, we we are privileged to a description of Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, doing what Jews do on the Sabbath day, sort of like what we're doing now. They would assemble. The word of God is opened, read, and explained. And in their midst, there was a demon-possessed man who began to speak. Jesus silenced him and called the demon out of him. Verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue. Right. So immediately after that Sabbath service... The largest meal of the day was then traditionally held. At what's called the sixth hour of the day in Jewish vernacular, what we might call noon. The biggest meal of the day, lunch, on Sabbath day was held. Jesus had just preached a sermon, no doubt exerted himself and his power to some degree confronting and casting out a demon. It was lunchtime, he was hungry... And he was being hosted by Peter and his extended family in his home. Now, interestingly, in the region here, in Capernaum, uh, the house of Peter is still standing today. Um, at least they claim, right? This was it. This is the traditional place. And what historical records show us is that this, this house of Peter was kind of an impressive space. There would have been a large courtyard in the center with lots of open windows and natural light flooding into it and then all around it on all four sides there were like something like apartments where peter and his wife would live and his mother-in-law would live no doubt peter's brother andrew and in time would come traditionally andrew's wife you know the whole extended family, multiple generations, at least three under one roof in this house of this seemingly successful fisherman. I actually kind of like that model. I like to keep my kids under my roof and keep them, lit, like, build a little house out back, you know what I mean? Just. They're not going to go to afford to buy a house anytime soon, anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's the context, right? So that's what we can envision. And Peter says, Jesus, come, come with me to my house for dinner. Now, every Sunday after this service, I like to stand outside. Um, I like to meet you. I like to talk with you. I like to catch up with you. Ask about your family. Ask about your baby. Um, I love it. I enjoy the time. But honestly, at that point, I'm usually pretty spent, right? The brain is starting to shut down. I need some calories, you know. On Sunday mornings, I rise pretty early before the rest of my home is awake. I pray for you in this service. I give my notes one final edit, oftentimes just bemoaning the lack of clarity. Just select, delete, try again, big portions I'm editing this thing right up to the moment, you know. And then, of course, I get my family ready, and my wife is very diligent, and my older girls help get the little boys, you know, dressed and teeth brushed, and we come to church, and often, like today, I rehearse the band, and then after that, then Sunday school starts, and I go to my office, and one more time over the notes, and print them out, and scratch them up, and... Then we have the service and I forget how to sing and, and then I attempt to preach a, a thing and, and then I go outside and you know what I'm I, you know I've done a lot of stuff already today you know I'm sort of I'm done man I didn't even cast out any demons On a very practical human level Jesus was spent He had no doubt been up early that morning He had exerted himself in some form or fashion, preaching the truth, casting out demons, speaking with people, and now it was lunchtime. He was human. We cannot take away from him his humanity, or else we undermine the very theological underpinnings of our own salvation. He was a real man. He was really probably tired. Ready to sit down, ready to put up his feet. But instead of serving himself, he gives of himself. Or as it has been said, but once again his power was appealed to. And once again he had to spend himself for others. This event tells us something about everyone involved. Jesus, the disciples, and Peter's mother-in-law. First, about Jesus, we should note... That he needed no crowd to meet a need. He needed no crowd to meet a need. Two similar but contrasting sequential events. A public exorcism that propelled him to great fame, we read in verse 28. And a private healing that simply eased a burden on a single family. It would seem Jesus is not motivated by Notoriety. It's one of the worst things about American politics. Politicians routinely do only what will earn them some good press, line their pockets financially, get them reelected, or make their opponents look bad. What is decent, what is honest, what is good for the nation… These things are often sacrificed at the altar of political ambition. But not for Jesus. He simply does good. He is good. Barclay puts it this way, a miracle to Jesus was not a means to prestige. He is interested in helping all who need his help. He needed no crowd to meet a need. Secondly we've noted about Jesus that he came to serve and not to be served. I mean he said it himself. The son of man has come to serve not to be served. We can peek ahead just a few verses to the end, right? And what does Jesus say in verse 38 of chapter 1? He said to them, "Let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also this is why I have come." He came to serve. Now, a brief point of application, if we're to be like Jesus, we will have this unrelenting appetite for service. I'm always amazed when I overhear Leslie making the schedule for the children's ministry downstairs. there's, There's people in our church family who serve as deacons. And you serve on the building and grounds team, coming here on Saturdays, putting up lights and fixing broken things. And and then you also take a turn with your wife, and you hang out with the toddlers during Sunday school or a service. We've got one mom who is raising three kids, overseeing a serving team, is the liaison to one of our missions partners. And this morning she's holding a baby so that a mom and dad can sit through the service without interruption. One mom raising three kids. Now, I could go on and on about examples of the sacrificial service of Hillcrest members, um, but to do so might make what they're doing sound exceptional. This ought to be considered normal for those who love and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Ready to serve, willing, eager to spend themselves for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of others. I think it was Paul who at the end of his life, writing one of his letters, he says, I am even now being poured out as a drink offering. And Paul would look back on his life and he would say with confidence and with honesty that he spent himself for the sake of the gospel. And I wonder if we could honestly say the same thing. Have we spent ourselves for the sake of the gospel? Do we want to be able to say on our deathbed or on our last day, I have poured myself out. I have wrung myself dry. I have expended myself, not for the sake of wealth, not for the sake of notoriety, not for the sake of pleasure or ease or... um, That my name might be remembered, but for the sake of my king. Yeah. This was the defining characteristic of Jesus. He came to serve, and therefore it ought to be of us. So this tells us something about Jesus. He needed no crowd to do a miracle. He came to serve, to pour himself out. This tells us something about the disciples, they knew exactly where to direct their needs. Luke's account indicates that they appealed to Jesus on Peter's mother-in-law's behalf. Mark simply says that they told Jesus about her. And Jesus would come into the house and things would be happening and you know meals and preparations and things would be gotten, you know, ready to sit down and eat and But over here in the corner of the house, down this hallway and inside her bedroom, there's Peter's mother-in-law laying on the bed. We know she was lying down, so sick that she was just flat. Hey, by the way, Jesus, my mother-in-law is very ill. She's just down the hall and around the corner. The disciples knew instinctively where to direct their needs. You might say that this is the essence of the Christian life, right? To take all your troubles to Jesus. All right, what's the old hymn? Uh, take it to the Lord. How's it go? I can't even sing the song like I rehearsed, much less the song Deep in the Recesses of My Memory. Oh, what needless pain we forfeit. Yeah. Da, 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 da. yeah, what needless grief we bear. How's it go? Oh, that all because we do not carry everything to the Lord in prayer. Yeah. Oh, what needless grief we bear. Ah, uh, church, we would do well. To take a lesson from these untrained disciples who instinctively knew to bring their burdens to Jesus. We do so by faith, but we are compelled to trust him no less. So we learn something about Jesus, we learn something about his disciples. Even early in their time with Jesus, they knew. And then we learned something about Peter's mother in law. We learned that she was very sick. Luke, the doctor, Dr. Luke, right, uh, claims that she had a high fever. And if you got into the technical mumbo jumbo of that, what Luke was intending as a physician to communicate was that she had something of a deep bacterial infection. The kind of thing in the ancient world where they didn't have they didn't have an antibacterial medicine to offer her. When someone had a high fever, as Luke describes it, they would simply seek to keep them comfortable and hope and wait. Just try to cool them down, try to keep them comfortable, lay down, and then just hope that the fever broke before it killed them. That was all they could do. And how does Jesus solve the problem? With but a word. In fact, we don't even read that he spoke. He says says that he just took her by the hand. And picked her up. No grand theatrics. No straining or grunting. The fever gave Jesus no seeming challenge. Now why is that? Why would Mark communicate this event this way? That Jesus simply took her by the hand. And she got up. Healed. well. In fact, energized. What she start doing? She started cooking. She started doing what mother-in-laws do, right? Taking care of things, taking care of people. What do we do after, we, like, after our fever has just broken? Well, whew, we rest. We're, we're spent. We're exhausted. Our bodies feel like we've been through you know, a couple of rounds of a boxing match with Mike Tyson, right? What does she do? She's well, energized. Healed, restored, upright, serving, working. (laughs) Immediately. Friends, the gospel of Jesus, neglect the original statement, is the message of the one who has power over the spiritual and the physical effects of the curse. This is not challenging him, this is not hampering him. We learn that she was very sick, and Jesus simply had the authority over all the effects of sin's curse. So we read, and we know that Peter's mother-in-law was very sick, and she was immediately made well, but we also learn something of her demeanor. She was prepared to serve the needs of others, look, having encountered the one who met her need. Prepared to meet the needs of others, having encountered the one who met her need. We who are familiar with our Bibles and the stories of Jesus are too quick to minimize these stories. There are about 25 recorded healings in all of the Old Testament. There's about 90 specific recorded healings in the gospel accounts, and an inference to an innumerable amount more that are simply not recorded. For 750 years, no healings happened in Israel. Nothing recorded. And then Jesus bursts onto the scene. Into a hopeless situation, Jesus supernaturally brought hope. Into a scenario where man had no power, Jesus powerfully intervenes. Look at this, reversing the effects of the curse of Adam with but the application of his hand. Let us not be too quick to move on, that we don't marvel at this. He touched her, and she was well, fully restored. Well, from a private miracle, the next few verses describe, number two, an excited response. I'm imploring you to not move on too quickly and not, and not marvel at this. Well, the people in Capernaum were, uh, they were not, if you will, bored at this news. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. They did not yawn at this. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He did not want demons doing his press. I'll speak for myself. Thank you. Shh. Right. And they had to obey. <laughs> An excited response. Word travels fast. At sunset, once the Sabbath day had finished, the whole town gathered their sick and brought them to Jesus, brought them to Peter's house. Now, why sunset? Well, because uh, Jewish Sabbath law said they can't carry anything. They can't carry their friend. They can't travel more than half a mile on foot on the Sabbath day. So they had to wait till sundown, but they weren't going to wait for tomorrow tomorrow. With great urgency, the whole town, everyone who was sick, hurting, your back, your eye, your cancer, your this, your that, everyone who was sick, they heard about what happened, and he healed them all. They couldn't wait till tomorrow, why would they? Their wildest dreams had come true, (laughs) and they flocked to Jesus. Well, this tells us something about Jesus' healing. We'll notice, first of all, that Jesus healed with a word or a touch. With a word or a touch. Secondly, we'll notice that Jesus healed immediately. As soon as, every single time, every recorded healing in the Scriptures, it's with a word or a touch, and it's instantaneous. It's also complete, with a word or a touch, instant healing and complete healing. And then we read, we read that he simply healed everyone. He healed many who were sick. The whole city was gathered. They brought to him all who were sick. Friend, this is how Jesus heals You and I today. First of all with but a word. Romans 10.9. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you will be, you might say, healed. Maybe not healed of your back or your eye or your disease, but healed of your greatest sickness, the curse of sin. Not only that with but a word, but also you'll be healed, you'll be saved immediately. We might have to wait to see the fullness of our salvation in Christ, but as soon as you believe, you are saved. And those of us who know Christ and are confident in Him, we know we are not the same today as we were before. We've been healed, we've been changed, we've been saved. There's There's a certainty, there's a confidence, there's a newness, there's a hope, there's a light. Immediately, straight away. Not only that, with a word, immediately, but also completely. Just as Peter's mother-in-law went from lying flat with fever to standing, working, serving, so too, is Jesus' complete healing of us, friend. He is complete. There is no shred or stain of sin left once Jesus' precious blood is applied to your account. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Or as Ezekiel promises, that in glory we will not even remember the shame of our sin. What a gift. With a word or a touch, immediately, completely, and everyone. Whoever believes. Whoever believes. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever would believe. You have to wonder if there were people in town in Capernaum who were sick, who simply stayed home, refusing to believe, miserable after a year over a year of pain and frustration and sickness and illness. But in their stubbornness and in the hardness of their hearts, almost like they, they didn't want to risk hope so they stay home you have to wonder right well the excited response extends into the next day luke says they tried to keep jesus from leaving right this is your moment Set up your capital here. Set up your base of political and social power here. Challenge Rome from here. And Mark tells us that the next morning, everyone was looking for him. Let's read the next bit, 35 to 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Simon and all those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone's looking for you. And he said... Let's go. Let's go to the next towns. That I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. And he did. And he went throughout all Galilee. From Capernaum to town to town to town to town. Everywhere. Preaching in the synagogues. Casting out demons. No doubt healing the sick. Making the lame to walk. The blind to see. The ill well. The hopeless. He gave them hope. And so this is the last thing we might observe Um, Giving out and taking in. Giving out and taking in. Uh, A long day was followed by an early morning. Um, Last Sunday, I think it was, yeah. Last Sunday, feels like a long time ago now. We had dinner at the Good Worst Company. Uh, About 60 of us filled the place up. Um, we blessed their staff. They were happy to host us, and I think we all had a good time. Um, we threw darts, and we played shuffleboard, and we ate sausages, and uh, there weren't any children that got impaled with darts. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Mom and Dad, and thank you, Jesus. Right? Um, and that event went from 5 until 7. Tom, 5 until 7. Amen. Tom. Tom was a little late. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's right. And, uh, and that night, uh, my wife and I, we went home and we tucked our kids into bed or sent them to bed. And, um, and Monday morning, I did not rise early to go out to a desolate place. <laughs> Monday morning, your pastor slept in. All right? I was done. I was spent. Right? You have the morning and all the activities. The preparations even of the afternoon and the evening and conversation and meals and talking and then then the kids and then then the lock the door and put the dog out and water the thing. And, and, you know, Monday comes. I'm snoozing, pal. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. No. A long day was followed by an early Morning. I mean, you have to imagine this, friends. After a preposterously long day, sun sets and the whole town is outside. And he would spend the next untold number of hours loving people and exerting himself and his power of the Spirit being poured out through him. Speaking and touching and hearing and listening to stories and ailments. Hugging and rejoicing with people as they respond in gratitude. Can you imagine just the emotions of that, the joy, but also the expenditure? And the next morning, Jesus wakes up early. And he goes out. He doesn't sleep in. He rises early. Now, this is interesting, right? Because Mark skipped the first 30 years of Jesus' life. (laughs) And yet the fact that Jesus woke up early the next morning was worthy of record. Right. The birth story is unnecessary from Mark's perspective, but the fact that Jesus got up early, that deserves <laughs> a mention. Now this cannot be by accident, it shouldn't be overlooked. Jesus is the perfect man, yes? He is, thank you, he is the true and better Adam. Yes. And what does he do? He rises early to meet with his Father, to pray, to be nourished, as one who is dependent on him. Yes, Jesus gave. He gave out, but he also took in. If Jesus so needed this private time with the Father, why do you and I so often neglect it? Or perhaps a better question, could it be that our lives see so little spiritual fruit and so little gospel effectiveness simply because we so often neglect what Jesus showed us that we need As those who are dependent on Jesus for eternal salvation, let us learn that we are dependent on him for daily nourishment as well. It's an elementary lesson, friends. But if we did a survey, I think the results might shock us. I think we might be hesitant to answer the survey question honestly. In fact, uh, I have recently hypothesized with my wife. Just as we're driving in the car, this is what we do, you know. I said, what if we did something? What if we sent out an anonymous survey to our whole church? We just had this conversation like a month ago. And just asked everyone in the church to answer Totally anonymous questions about their spiritual disciplines, their daily routine, how often they read the Scriptures, how much they pray, how much they journal or don't journal, the number of minutes on average, and just answer honestly because no one knows that your answer is associated with your name. So there's no shame, and then we just compile those results. And I I said this honestly, not as a point to like… To try to drag my church family through the mud or try to hold something over your head or try to impose a particular legalism. No. I simply would like to genuinely know what, what is the spiritual temperature of our church family. You know? What do you, what do you acknowledge that you're lacking, that you're missing, that you're not doing so that I might stand up here with, with a better sense of what's really going on. And lead accordingly, implore you accordingly, put tools in your hands that would meet those needs, that would challenge those deficiencies. And so it would be worthwhile, friends, you know, to take a moment right now in reflection. Jesus got up early as one who is dependent on the Father. Perhaps the reason why I'm so easily angered and why there seems to be so little fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, and I'm wrecked with anxiety and fear, is simply because I'm I'm not dependent on my Father for the daily bread. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead me not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Right? Daily, daily, daily. This is offered not as a heavy handed. Mm, mm, you, you, you need to be disciplined, but simply as an optimistic offer. You know, if we are to give as Jesus gave, we must receive as Jesus received. Daily, intimate, nourishment, help, guidance... Wisdom from the Father, who James tells us gives to us lavishly, if we would but ask. Well, he gave out, but he also took in. But then he went right back to the business of giving out, right? Giving out, taking in. Giving right back out. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, Luke tells us. How so? By preaching. Let us go to the next towns that I may do what there? Cast out demons there? Heal people there? No. Let us go to the next towns that I might preach there as well. John MacArthur says, What's the difference between teaching and preaching? Preaching is louder. Which I'm not sure about that. Maybe it is. It was, it was a proclamation, it was a herald. We read that he came into his hometown in Nazareth in Luke's account, and he, and he read from the scroll of Isaiah about the suffering servant, about the servant who would come with power and majesty. And he said, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they ran him out of town. The same message would be preached in town after town. The herald of God. The son of God. The one who has authority over the forces of evil. He has power over that which ails you. The demonstrations of power over evil and the demonstrations of authority over sickness. These were all simply to authenticate the preaching. To give weight to the message. Well, uh, in closing, I I, I was reminded of a couple of things here this week. uh, That it seems that those who have encountered Jesus share a particular demeanor. Um, Number one, they are changed, healed, and freed. Changed, healed, and freed. Uh, Number two, they are trusting, leaning, depending. Trusting, leaning, and depending. And then number three, they are responding in gratitude by emulating the characteristics of our Savior. Changed, healed, and freed. Trusting, leaning, and depending, and then responding in gratitude by emulating the characteristics of our Savior. Jesus has shown he has the power to cast out demons, the authority to heal that which ails. Let us know today that our greatest need, our ultimate sickness, is the stain and the disease of sin. And let us come. Not waiting until tomorrow, but today, full of confidence in the one who has shown that he has the power to save. Would you pray with me?